521. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery, geekery, and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out Spirit spiritblade.com or by checking us out at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. On the show today, a review of The Predator, my thoughts about the first five hours of Spider-Man for PlayStation 4, and a look at how geeks should view and use their money as we continue in the book of Proverbs. All right, here we go. Nice. Another achievement unlocked. But I got more achievements than anybody I know. Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement. See, this is why I don't like talking to you. Then why don't you spend more time with real people? Because real people don't respond to console commands. Wow, Peter. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold, you are great, and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. This week, I had the chance to spend five hours in total, not all, not in one sitting, um, playing Spider-Man, Marvel's Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. This has been like a hugely anticipated game, and like all the media outlets, it's been very interesting how um, I'm just... <laughs> well, I don't want to give away my thoughts too early, but um, I just sometimes like... I, I when I look at when I look at IGN or GameSpot or some of these other like kind of funny some of these big media um, gaming outlets that uh, that re- just review a ton of games are very familiar with games they have they have people reviewing games that uh, that are uh, that, that I think kind of by nature they have to be able to enjoy on some level or at least appreciate um, a wide variety of games. And uh, so sometimes, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised when I just find myself disagreeing, because, you know, not not having the same feelings about the experiences they're having because I, I'm just a little bit of an odd duck um, when it comes to video games. I'm, I'm not very good at anything that requires quick thinking and fast reflexes. I tend to be a very slow, deliberate thinker. I like to take my time and process things. And uh, and so if you want me to do something, you know, varied and specific in a very short period of time in reaction to information I've just received, <laughs> uh, which is essentially, you know, Twitch gameplay, 
I'm going to fail pretty miserably at that. Um, but I really do like open world games, even open world action games that are, you know, like uh, not necessarily RPGs, you know, like Far the Far Cry games I've really come to enjoy. And the Assassin's Creed games, especially, I mean, I enjoyed them before, but especially with the shift over to Origins and it being like, okay, this is a straight up action RPG now. That's what this series is. It was great. Horizon Zero Dawn, you know. So looking at the previews for PlayStation for PlayStation Spider-Man, all all the signs were indicating, okay, yeah, this is an open city, almost like a Saints Row without the crass humor and a different power set um, from Saints Row 4 where you just totally get cut loose with superpowers. You know, this is uh, this is an open city superhero experience and I've been wanting an actual open city superhero experience for a long time. I know you're going to say Batman, you know, Arkham blah 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 series. And I'm still working on um, Arkham Asylum, and I know that that's apples and oranges to the rest of the series, but uh, I feel like I need to play through that one before moving on to the rest of the series, which is reportedly much more open, but anyway. um, So, yeah, and and I'm not... I'm not feeling it as much in uh, in, uh, in Arkham Asylum. So, uh, so anyway, I've been waiting for some kind of open city superhero game. My preference would have been uh, a DC based one, but hey, I, I, even though my my preferred universe is the DC universe, I love any good comic book story, and I've read a lot of really enjoyable. Marvel Ultimate Spider-Man stories. I, I am making my way through. I'm now in the Miles Morales era of the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, still really enjoying it. And uh, that's kind of become my Spider-Man in the last 10 years. So I, I definitely can say I am a Spider-Man fan. Not like a huge Spider-Man fan and not a, necessarily a fan of what's going on with him in the mainstream Marvel Universe because I have no idea what that would be. Um, but the, the ultimate Marvel Spider-Man, I've really come to enjoy. So I've been looking forward to this thing as well. Not like drooling for it, but between being, you know, a, 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 a casual um, but still, I think a solid Spider-Man fan and a fan of open world uh, action games. This was like right up my alley. Um, and But w- what was funny is like all these games media people were just assuming this game was going to be great. Assuming that it was just going to be, you know, the bee's knees. And I don't know if some of that was their hype over in you know, like this, the, their superhero, their fans, big fans of Spider-Man, or uh, they had some familiarity with the developer who has done games that I have not played before, but which were reportedly good, you know, but just not my kinds of games. Um, or, or you know, on the exclusive to Xbox, the Sunset Overdrive one was. But anyway... So I played this game and I was just kind of open, um, but it ended up being at the end of the day, an experience that I don't see myself continuing in the near future. Possibly I'll come back to it. So um, the let's, let me just try to break down. You can get my edited down play experience and reactions to what I'm playing through my trial and error video up on Christian or youtube.com slash Christian geek central. Um, the video is titled, I think, Spider-Man or Wish I Felt More Super. Um, the, uh, the, let me first talk about the, the gameplay customization options. That's kind of the first thing that, that uh, I arrived at when getting launching into the game. Wow, I really loved what I was seeing in these opening menus. Of course, they uh, give you difficulty levels, three difficulty levels. Um, more on that a little bit later, but I always appreciate having that. What they added in a different 
menu under accessibility instead of like difficulty or gameplay options or whatever um, was the option to um, turn off puzzles. And let's see, what was one of the other options that they had there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick time, quick time events. You could turn off both puzzle. Well, you could basically introduce the ability to skip puzzles so that when you would come across a puzzle, whether it's an optional one or one that's required by the story, you would have the option of just hitting R1 and it would skip the puzzle automatically and move you on through the game. I think that is awesome. I think that's awesome. Um, now, they put it in, in the accessibility, same with the QTE, they they had options where you could just hold down a button when QTE events would normally require you to press a button repeatedly, or you could just opt to have the them automatically succeed and not even show up like the the button prompts not even show up and just the animations so and basically you just see these little cinematic brief cinematic moments is what they look like when you play the game when you have uh, the qte turned off and i i think putting it under accessibility instead of like difficulty i think that that's part of the movement happening that i see happening in games to make games more accessible to those with disabilities, colorblindness, or uh, something that would affect their their dexterity or something like that. And and I think that's really cool. I think it's cool for me as someone who just is often more interested in a, in a more casual experience or just doesn't like certain gameplay mechanics. I wish that more developers, whether they're thinking of someone with a disability or or just you know gamers in general, I love having options in the game that allow me to tailor the difficulty and oh, and the experience in general. I'm just not a puzzle guy. These puzzles, they didn't have timers on them. I could have, like, sat there and go, hmm, oh, yeah, I see. This goes here, and then this goes here. Oh, great, I feel smart, you know, two minutes later or whatever when I'm done with the puzzle. Uh, that's uh, that's not me. I, I'm not interested in that, especially not at the end of the day. Usually I'm just in, in for more chill experiences that uh, don't require a lot of like focus you know because i spend my day in in uh, with a lot of focus going on so um anyway i love that love that i would love to see more developers do that whatever their motives might be for whoever they're thinking of man more of those accessibility options whatever you call want to call them game tailoring options love it love it so cool um the controls themselves um just took a little bit of of getting used to you use a, a small number of buttons to do lots of different things. There's a lot of different moves, combat moves, um, and maneuvering that Spider-Man can do. And sometimes it's like, okay, you gotta press this button. Okay, now you gotta hold this button. Now you gotta tap it twice, you know, and stuff like that. And it's all all that with just the same button that you're dealing with, you know. So uh, it, I don't want to say it feels like a fighting game, but I mean that just gives you an idea of how combat basically works. For me, because I'm not good at fighting games and just re- remembering these are arbitrary button patterns in order to pull off a uh, some specific move i don't i'm not good at remembering arbitrary you know facts <laughs> little bits of trivia and that's what that amounts to me it's like it's like it, it would be like asking someone hey whenever you want to punch in a game just think of the numbers seven nine two and whenever you want to kick then think of the numbers twelve seventy eight you know be like what this is you know it doesn't the i like it when controls in some way um your hands are doing something that feels has some level of connection 
to the the body the thing you're seeing on screen or something i know that they, that's not that's very often not possible but uh, anyway that's how my brain tends to work i'm not good at just remember remembering arbitrary things so i quickly become overwhelmed um at like all the okay use these buttons to do this use this pattern to do this and like I, you know what i'm gonna button mash okay guys i'm gonna do that and we'll see how long i survive <laughs> um so anyway, uh, but but I did eventually, over the five hours, get used to the combat a little bit more and how it works and gained a familiarity with enough of the moveset to uh, improve in my combat, you know, over, over time, which was encouraging to me because there were definitely times where I'm like, crap, I can't, I'm not successfully dodging, I'm not, you know, and there were still some cases where I felt like, man, I... I think I, I, what I want is invincibility frames. I'm, okay, let's just get into the combat, and then I'll circle back to uh, to, to web slinging controls. Um, on easy mode, this game still felt like Spider-Man was too vulnerable to me. I don't want to say that it felt too, the game as a whole felt too difficult on easy mode. Specifically, Spider-Man felt too vulnerable to me. Um, what I want when I'm dodging is invincibility frames. And by that I mean, and I didn't talk about this in the video, but what I want is I hit dodge and then I'm doing some animation, some acrobatic move to get out of the way. I want that whole time that I'm doing that animation to be impervious to any harm. Um, I'm not as much of a fan of games that actually factor in where my little my feet are in the process of flipping out of the way and stuff because then they could still catch a bullet or something. I, I can't factor, I'm not good at factoring all that in of like where my body's going to be in this animation, you know, and, and there's the concept of hitboxes, like where does a bullet need to be to do damage to you in comparison to the actual model of your character on the screen. Sometimes those are two different things. Like sometimes you can be quote unquote hit by a bullet that just gets really close to your character model because the hitbox is bigger than your character model, you know? So I, I would prefer that if they're going to have a dodge mechanic to just have m my character be impervious to any harm for the entire time that he's doing that dodging animation. Um, I really don't like trying to figure out, okay, developer, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, and trying to peer into their mind. <laughs> and I felt like I was having to do that, not so much with the hitbox issue, but as far as the timing. Um, because I would, they would have like a spider sense little thing and in the tutorial. It says, when you see this spider thing, spider sense flash around your head, dodge that's it's time to dodge okay that's all they tell you they don't get any more specific than that and yet following those instructions did not allow me to successfully dodge when uh, i felt like i should have been able to i would dodge and be in the dodging animation and then some part of the attack would still get me anyway you know and so that that takes a lot i just spent a lot of time explaining something that happens in like a fraction of a second but i felt like i had to go into that a little bit <laughs> to explain somehow other people don't have problems with this some people a lot of people don't need the, aren't mystified and i guess they understand the brain of the uh, of the developer <laughs> or what the game wants I don't understand. The, I, maybe it's because I overthink things. I'm trying to overthink things too. I don't know. I don't know what my problem is, but it is a problem that I have. So anyway. Um, yeah, but I felt that also that when Spider-Man gets hit, uh, he takes way too much damage. Um, there are enemies in this game. Like you fight Kingpin near the beginning. I'm going to, you know, you, that's in the preview material. I'm going to try not to give spoilers, but uh, that's in a lot of the preview material. Um, and there are enemies that 
they will punch you and do just as much damage punching you as Kingpin does. And likewise, you will be unable to knock them over some of these enemies. They're called Brutes. Unless you first web them up like you do Kingpin in the in that boss battle. So Kingpin ends up being a tutorial for how to fight these common thugs called brutes that you'll run into all the time throughout the rest of the game. And that's really weird to me. That's really weird to me. This, like, I play a game to not really take on a challenge. I don't want it to be, you know, like super easy uh, and boring to me. I want, it, I want it to be just enough a challenge to keep me engaged, um, but not really, I'm not interested in challenge beyond that. And when I'm playing a game, I'm really there to be immersed in the world and in the fantasy of being empowered in that world, whether I'm in Skyrim or a superhero or whatever. I play these games to kind of like fantasize about having these abilities I don't have in real life, right? I think that's at the end of the day what a lot of us play games for. Um, and so Spider-Man... I mean, gosh, he, if, he, if he really punches somebody, I mean, he could knock over a car or at least a motorcycle if a person, you know, is on the receiving end of one of his punches and they are a normal person. I don't care how bulked up they are, how much time they spend in the gym. They're going to go flying. But yet these common enemy types called brutes that you run into all the time, they are impervious to your punches unless you first web them up. And they can hit you and take out a quarter of your health in a punch, you know. And punches from thugs do about the same. I mean, I don't want to say about the same. I mean, if you really did an analysis, I'm sure it's different. But it's in the thick of battle. A punch, damage from a punch, is not that different from damage from a bullet from a gun. Um, in fact, I think I've saw enemies that did more damage to me with a punch or a crowbar than I did getting shot. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I definitely felt way, uh, way more vulnerable than I wanted to feel for considering that I'm on easy mode, um, in this game. Uh, and I compare that to Assassin's Creed Origins, which I also play on easy mode. Um, and I feel so much more empowered in Assassin's Creed Origins, than I do, and in a lot of, of of other comparable games, Saints Row, Saints Row three and four, I felt stronger and more powerful and capable in those games, um, and uh, you know, so I did look for ways to compensate for that through XP and loot grinding. I'll come back to that in a second. But while we're talking about controls, let me talk about the web slinging just briefly. Um, it, it's at first I was making it, and you can see this. I think if you watch the video, it was less complicated in my mind than I was making it or that the tutorial messages at the beginning made it seem. If you want to in this game, you can just move forward with left stick and hold right trigger like Assassin's Creed Origins and you will just make your way through anything that's in front of you. If there's a building there, you'll you'll run right up it, jump over the top and keep going. If there's not a building, you'll shoot a web and you'll keep going. Um, what I was thinking the controls were trying to teach me was how to shoot webs uh, to get them to attach to something and then how to release at a specific time and then shoot another web. I thought that I was responsible for manually shooting the web, but that's actually not really the case. You just hold down right trigger and at the proper time, you will release from the web and then at the proper time as you're falling just briefly, Spider-Man will automatically shoot another web if there's a place available and if not, he will land and keep running or if there's a building, he'll run over that and stuff. So, And you don't take damage from, you know, jumping off the Empire State Building and just, you know, landing on the ground, you know. Um, so, but if you want to have more control 
over like the route you take through the city and maybe like how fast you swing um, and uh, when specifically you maybe let go and give yourself a little uh, extra boost with uh, some web slinging tricks. You know, there are there are like kind of more advanced things that you can do um, that do take, I think, more skill and understanding of the control scheme. Um, but by no means do you have to bother with uh, with any of that just to be getting around the city. Um, so they uh, it, that it can definitely be a very cool, relaxing experience. And the city looks great. The animations of Spider-Man as he's swinging around, really cool and fun to watch, you know, and to be controlling. And uh, it's just a great environment. The traversal is a lot of fun. So and, and you're going to hear that from reviewers all over the place. Um, all right. So. Trying to compensate for the difficulty I was having, I looked at the progression and upgrading system, and you can upgrade your suit by doing side quest activities, and I think story missions as well. Various kinds of activities will give you various kinds of tokens, and the various upgrades that you can give to your suit or the gadgets that you can kind of buy or create or whatever um, require you to have collected a certain type of of tokens. So uh, that means that, you know, there's not just one static thing that you can grind to get all the in-game, you know, token currency to upgrade whatever you want. You may have to do a certain type of side quest in order to get a certain type of suit upgrade. Um, I didn't find... There was only one side quest that I found really annoying, um, and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a bummer, and you can watch the video from my experience with that. It's toward the end of the video, and I've, I put very detailed um, timestamps in my video, so you can skip around to the different parts that interest you based on the time links or the timestamps. I try to give you really easy access to that, so uh, if there's something specific after hearing my thoughts that you want to go check out and see my experience with, you can easily get to it, again, over at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral. Um, anyway, most of the side quests just involve you swinging around the city. It's so it's very, I found them to be very relaxing, and they have little Easter eggs that flesh out the story and history of Spider-Man as it is in this world because it is a separate continuity from any other Spider-Man continuity, and I'll, I'll get to that maybe in a little bit. Um, but, uh, there was one that, where you had to like shoot, like you had to web these barrels that were floating and they were asking me to do something very specific that seemed unfair, um, because my webs can normally reach much farther when I'm shooting other things with them. But for some reason I had to get much closer to these barrels and I also had to be in midair for some inexplicable reason to uh, get my web, to be able to shoot them with my webs. And then there were other, like, just general finer controls. Like, maybe swinging around the city is great, but when you want to climb to a specific part of this little radio tower or whatever, you know, um, then it really is hard to get Spider-Man to do what I want him to do. Um, And I've I've also seen that complaint elsewhere, so I'm not imagining things here, and it's not necessarily just my crappy video game skills. Um, So there there does, it it doesn't seem to be as finely tuned for that kind of thing. So uh, you may run into some frustrations when you're doing the finer maneuvers uh, with Spider-Man that don't involve, you know, swinging around and stuff. Um, but yeah, I found the side activities to be very relaxing. You know, you're also like Far Cry and Assassin's Creed climbing towers to uh, gain access and information about new areas and stuff. So there's a lot about the groove of this game that reminded me of Assassin's Creed Origins, but with having uh, just a very different traversal type. And, you know, also not killing people and certainly feeling more vulnerable. Um, 
as far as like XP and loot grinding, you do get a little bit of experience for just about everything you do, fighting bad guys and picking up, you know, your collectibles and stuff like that. And, um, and you can even get some extra XP if you choose an upgrade that allows you to earn extra XP while you do flips in the air flying around the city. But these things, um, these, the side quest activity XP, uh, it's, I don't think it's a viable way to really grind. I think you could, and I think it's not as bad as trying to like grind solo for XP in some MMOs where it's like the missions give you 20,000 experience, and if you just randomly you know, fight guys to grind on the street, they give you 10 or 5 or whatever. And so it would just be insanely boring and, and uh, repetitive to try and grind XP that way. So it's not that bad, but I think it definitely is going to be more grindy um, if you're wanting to compensate that way, which I would want to do because, as I said, I felt more vulnerable than I wanted to. You only gain health increases on a level up, and you can only apply so many defense modifiers and strength modifiers to your suit through suit upgrades. So really the best way to kind of give myself the pad in defense and health that I really want, that cushion, would be to just plain gain levels. And hopefully the level cap would be high enough to let me get to the comfort level I would want. But but it would really take longer than I would typically want to spend grinding. Um, so that's another reason why I don't feel really drawn to coming back to this game. Um, I did like the uh, the story, though. I mean, like, at least I was kind of curious about it. I never, like, really engage in video game stories. That's very rare for me. Um, but in this one, I was curious about how they were going to be treating Spider-Man. There are certain characters that are known to be part of his... Uh, let's say rogues gallery that even though in this world spider-man is like i don't know eight years into his career there are one or more villains that haven't experienced their origin stories yet as i played in the first five hours like oh so we're we gonna see that play out so you know it's interesting to just kind of see their take on this self-contained version of spider-man's you know world and story you know um and so i thought uh, that that was really interesting um his humor is much more like what i would think of as the classic spider-man humor being a smart aleck hero my preference for spider-man writing is when his smart aleck humor if any grows out of his insecurity so the ultimate marvel spider-man is younger he's more naive he makes jokes because he oftentimes he's nervous you know um and so he's trying to you know deflect and compensate for his insecurity um and spider-man homecoming and that that's a good example i think of the kind of humor i like the the way they've been treating spider-man and also when he appeared in Civil War, the way he was written as just this naive kid who's just like, oh my gosh, wow, to be living this life is amazing. All these things I can do, all these people I'm meeting and stuff like that. That's the Spider-Man I really like. This is the more mature, wisecracking, smart aleck, kind of cocky Spider-Man. And uh, I'd say there's a good chance that at some point he's going to get humbled in the story. I've heard that it takes a turn for the dark, at least at some point, but uh, um, I wasn't seeing that. So I was like, eh, all right, not really my Spider-Man, but oh well. Um, and, uh, oh, they, they've also gotten some nice attention to detail, both in some of the uh, collectible backstory lore that's fleshed out as you go collect his backpacks around the city. And then also when you knock guys off of buildings, um, at most of the time, there was one time it didn't happen. I was like, oh, I think that guy died, but I couldn't find his body. So, <laughs> But most of the times when I would knock guys off of buildings, the, the, there would automatically be an, autom- an animation from Spider-Man shooting a web out to them 
Um, and I wouldn't see what happened because I'm in the thick of combat. But then after combat, I'd go and check and see, and like, oh, this dude, he's on the next skyscraper over, webbed to the side of the skyscraper. Because <laughs> when he got knocked off, I webbed him. And then without me even having to control it or worry about it, he got stuck to that building to wait for the cops, I guess. So that was a really nice bit of attention to specifically heroic detail. Um, anyway, those that that's about all, all I really want to say. I got to run off uh, to review my movie now, but uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people I've heard are really enjoying this game, um, and I've heard the, the 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 trophies are really easy to get and natural as you play through the game enough. Um, so I totally see why a lot of people are loving this game, liking it at least. Um, and I may come back to it, but for now, I've just got a small stack of games that I am almost guaranteed to enjoy when I sit down with my precious uh, playtime at the end of the day. Um, so I don't want to, right now, you know, spend it on anything that I might not enjoy. So this one is, um, it's, it's a pass for now. Um, we'll see what the future holds. Oh, almost forgot, though. Um, you might be wondering, did you notice any themes or uh, spiritual things going on in the story uh, that, you know, I usually like to comment on? Whether or not there are things in some piece of entertainment that I'm enjoying that might trigger worthwhile thought or a conversation about some of the, the more deeper and essential issues of life. And uh, um, I, not in the first five hours, um, I would say. The thing with Spider-Man stories, though, and that... I suspect will be the case with this one as well, is that they, the the, the good ones, the really character-driven ones, which I think is where uh, Spider-Man really shines, is, you know, when they tap into what he was essentially created to be, and that is a hero with problems that people can relate to, but set in a situation that's on a, in an, uh, you know, fantastical, you know, level. But, um, you know, there's... Uh, indications that they're going to be playing around with that classic theme of of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, you know, like basically Peter balancing the priorities of these two lives and having to carry on these two different types of lives at the same time. And I I think based on a conversation that I saw him have with Mary Jane in this story, that there's some history there between he and Mary Jane where he maybe gave too much priority to Spider-Man at some point and that caused problems for them. Um, and the status quo of their relationship in this story indicates that, you know, that, that there were some issues in the past that they haven't completely resolved and dealt with yet. So I suspect that's kind of what they're going to be playing with, but I, I don't know. But I But I would say that... Anytime that, that uh, you know, you and I are are engaged in a Spider-Man story, that is something that we can kind of keep an eye out for and use as a, men if nothing else, a mental jumping off point to kind of take stock and either um, imitate Peter where he is prioritizing things in, in life uh, in a, in a God-honoring way or learn from his mistakes when he is prioritizing the wrong things and relationships or more important things suffer as a result of that. So, uh, so I would say that's something that if you're enjoying the game that you could, you know, always, uh, kind of keep a, 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 a sensor running, a scanner running, you know, in the peripheral for those kinds of things to maybe hit that pause button now and then, um, and take stock. We can take stock of our own lives and say, you know what, how am I prioritizing life? You know, even in this moment, I'm playing this game. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll realize on a Saturday, you know, 
yes, I do really want this time to relax right now, but I don't need to be alone right now. I could invite my boys to come in and uh, use uh, the other TV in my office to uh, play video games that they like just in the same room with me so we can comment on each other's games and banter back and forth and stuff like that, you know. Um, What are some ways that I could uh, be more cognizant of how I'm prioritizing the relationships in my life that God has given me to steward and to care for and to uh, to treasure. Um, so anyway, uh, but that's all I have on uh, that. Again, um, you can check out the video, youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. And uh, if you're enjoying the game, um, then awesome. And if you haven't yet, but you're planning on trying it, I, I, I hope you enjoy it. And I'd love to hear what you think uh, after you've had a chance to get your hands on it. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. The Predator! Um, which is not a reboot of the franchise, but a sequel still in continuity, although they don't really reference previous movies, just the fact that, yep, these aliens have been doing stuff on our planet, you know, before. Um, The synopsis on IMDb, written by 20th Century Fox, reads, From the outer reaches of space to the small town streets of suburbia, the hunt comes home. Now the universe's most lethal hunters are stronger, smarter, and deadlier than ever before, having genetically upgraded themselves with DNA from other species. When a young boy accidentally triggers their return to Earth, only a ragtag crew of ex-soldiers and a disgruntled science teacher (laughs) can prevent the end of the human race. That's an interesting note, disgruntled science teacher. I'm not sure if I remember that facet of her character at all. Maybe they briefly touched on it, but I mean, it was not... Character was not like a strong concern. Developing character was not a strong concern in this movie. Let's talk about the story, script, pacing, tone, that sort of thing. This is a sci-fi action movie through and through, with uh, also frequent comedic elements, usually resulting from this group, this ragtag group of ex-soldiers called the Loonies, who are all going off to like a military prison or something like that because they've all done bad things as a result of psychological breaks that they've had. Um, And so you've got this colorful cast of soldiers, you know, uh, that are usually going for comedy in their scenes. Um, This is a gory, violent movie, but I wouldn't describe it as scary. Again, sci-fi action with frequent comedic elements um it uh, it's psychologically unrealistic you know they're not going for a very serious grounded psychological tone um and, you know I'm, I'm gonna be critical of you know that aspect of the movie and kind of the tone of it because it's not my thing but i have to give credit to the creators i i can see how this could be a um a legitimate reinterpretation of the original Uh, Predator movie. If you think about the original Predator movie, it also had a cast of kind of unusual soldiers um, that were kind of over the top in their characterization. Even going back a few years ago and watching the original Predator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I did as a part of it to get ready for a discussion that I had on the Retro Rewind podcast, episode 96, if you want to check that out. Um, I was kind of like taken aback at Schwarzenegger in that movie. I was like, oh, uh, I'm not feeling it. 
<laughs> it's just, I guess, too much time has passed for me to feel nostalgic and kind of accept uh, Schwarzenegger and his and his brand. You know, in this particular role, I still think he works for me as the Terminator. But in this role, I was like, yeah, no, I'm, that's not working for me. So, um, so it, it's not that I'm holding up or have like rose colored lenses for the original Predator movie, it doesn't hold up for me and feel like I would like it to feel today. Um, And I think that this movie is in many ways kind of translating that vibe of like, you know, colorful cast of tough guy characters, but adding the splash of what I would call Marvel humor, which really has become popular in, uh, that that Marvel has popularized and has found its way into all kinds of action and action sci-fi movies now. So I think this is today's version of this kind of movie, you know. Um, But anyway, my usual complaints for that kind of movie with that kind of tone is that it's psychologically unrealistic. In this case, people seem shocked and stressed at most by out-of-this-world events that they're exposed to, but not genuinely freaked the crap out like I really would want them to be, which I think would help me feel just the intensity of, oh my gosh, what is this creature? And, you know, and feeling the fear along with them. Um, I felt more fear and dread coming from the Marines in the original Schwarzenegger movie than, than I felt coming off of any of the characters in this movie. The character introductions for the quote-unquote loonies uh, kind of display their quirks and their caricatures that that are playing out consistently through the rest of the movie. So there's characterization in that sense, but it's really mostly for humor. Characterization for drama or for emotional investment is nearly absent, even though there was great opportunity for it because the, the lead uh, sniper marine, you know, who actually has his head screwed on straight, but people just think he's crazy because he had a run-in with the uh, with the predator at the beginning. He's got a neglected wife and son who live at home, um, and who are very very much a part of the story as well. And they could have used that to ground this with a little bit of relatable family drama and relationships to make me feel a little bit more like, man, I hope he survives so that he can go home to his wife and son. I could tell that they were trying to kind of play with the father-son dynamic and use that to bring a little bit of uh, emotional connection maybe, but it just, it was barely there and and certainly not working to connect me to the characters in the drama. Um, it's heavily action-oriented, the pace rarely lets up, and yet I, I didn't feel more uh, intense as I, you know, as I watched it because of its lack of slower moments. I think actually if they would have taken some time to play up the, the character, the emotional connections between characters more, I would have been more invested in whether or not certain characters live or die. Some key elements of the story also made little sense to me or were just too convenient. I'm not going to talk about more than two of them because I don't want to, you know, really spoil uh, the story. Um, there's a predator dog, which you've probably seen if you've watched the trailer. So yes, this movie has predator dogs. Um, and this dog gets shot in the head and then becomes an ally of the humans after this because his brain gets messed up or something. That just It felt very convenient and I don't know and they you know there's a child in this movie that is really empowered in some ways that I can see you know being like uh, you know um maybe bringing awareness to Asperger's as a, a, a as a condition you know and uh, and kind of uh uh, talking about maybe some of the positives that can result, you know, that, that there are certainly some aptitudes that are increased in uh, among those who have uh, uh, Asperger's. Um, I don't think that's always the case, but uh, but anyway, I can see that they were in a in a respectful way 
you know, trying to kind of do some uh, some things there with that concept, but it still resulted in what felt like child empowerment from a children's movie, you know? Um, they didn't quite lean heavily enough into what I would call the realism of uh, that condition, um, and... Yeah, so anyway, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Um, this The second thing that I noticed, and this was very brief, <laughs> but I did take note, is that the premise of this story um, we see in one scene mentioned very briefly, but it, but if you think about it, it's like, oh, that's like the whole premise of the movie hangs on this one idea, and that is it, it, the movie leans on the assumption that climate change will make our world impossible to live on within one or two generations from right now. Um, so I... I'm like, okay, yes, we need to be good stewards of creation. You know, I think that um, there's indications of that in scripture. But let's dial back the extreme left sentiment that we're going to wipe out all life on the planet through pollution in the next generation or two. Um, they continue to expand on the lore of the predator in this movie by introducing two new types of predators, one being the dog. They also provide subtitles so the audience knows what the predators are saying. Um, the entire philosophy of hiding the monster and progressively revealing it that guided the first film and arguably uh, a good chunk of the second uh, film, that seemed completely absent here. And that's like a, a significant hook for me in any kind of monster movie, creature feature, whatever, is is like wondering, ooh, the, having fear of the unknown, like, oh, I, I barely saw it. What is that? Did I see what I think I saw? What is this weird creature? And it's slowly revealed over time. And that's what makes, I think, monster movies hard to keep going as part of a franchise. I think it's one of the reasons why the Aliens movies felt like, well, we've got to just go in a different a different direction because we've revealed the monster by the end of the second movie in that franchise they've kind of revealed about all they can and then they started like doing like a hybridization of it in the third movie and then all kinds of crazy genetic stuff in the fourth movie you know so um so you can see that struggle happening in other monster movies like this um and sometimes it can work. Uh, in the case of the Aliens movies, I think that the third one, the director's cut anyway, the extended cut, works for me just because the rest of the movie was doing some things that I liked. It wasn't that the creature was especially fascinating to me. There were some other things in the setting and the characters and stuff like that that I, that I was really engaged in. And that was not the case for me here. And I wasn't particularly interested in what they were introducing to the lore of the Predator. Um, and... Also, like the 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 predators and the shit and their ships in this movie are all very well lit from the very beginning, and so details are clearly visible. There's just no ab attempt to obscure the predators and, and mystify them in any way. So that was a bummer to not feel like any mystery about these creatures anymore. They also clearly set up a sequel. No spoilers. Um, that I it looks like is going to have a bunch of shark jumping and and you know shark jumping. We usually mean that in a negative connotation. I want to allow for the possibility that I will enjoy the next movie. I don't know, because sometimes you can take a risk and you can jump that shark. In other words, just do something outlandish that the series is not known for, take it in a totally new direction, and a lot of times that fails, but sometimes when you make that, when you jump that shark, you can land in new territory that actually ends up being interesting and compelling in some way. So uh, I want to allow for that possibility, but right now, I don't have high hopes. The, my impressions is that the the vibe of the next movie might evolve into something that has like a sci-fi superhero vibe to it, akin to Iron Man. I'm just like, oh, okay, 
you know, we'll see. Um, this series of movies, I think, was built on the concept that Predators want to take on the best of the best in combat to the death. Uh, this movie changes that so that the Predators now just want kind of, they just kind of want genetic samples of the best to take back to their laboratories and monkey with. Um, yeah, that is not as interesting to me. My preference would have been a serious movie set in, say, the Middle East, where the Predator, maybe even a rebooted Predator, you know, as part of a rebooted Predator franchise that has a new, um, at least significantly modified visual design, and maybe some different abilities instead of the ones we're used to him having. I don't know, but, but uh, serious Middle East drops down in the middle of a conflict between Marines and terrorists. Um, I would be interested in seeing that movie. It looks like they didn't want to go that direction and probably don't plan to in the future. But uh, as far as the cast goes, the actors playing the loonies were all very interesting to me. I didn't laugh near as often as they were clearly, you know, trying to be funny, but that is just a curse of mine. I tend to not find funny what many other people find funny in movies, um, but I at least found the performances varied and interesting, so I did appreciate that. Other than that, everyone else stood where they were supposed to stand. They said their lines when they were supposed to with the proper facial expressions. Solid stuff. Uh, no uh, negative performances that, you know, in the sense that they were distracting to me or, like, took me out of, of whatever of, of the experience. Um, so no complaints. But, I mean, I wouldn't pass around any awards either. As far as the stunts and visuals go... Uh, the new Predators are entirely CG, so I was bummed because I'm cursed with an eye that picks out CG and it already kind of looks kind of fake to me, even like the top of the line CG, except in rare, rare cases. And so for me, this experience was like looking at a bunch of very highly detailed cartoons when these new Predators would come on screen, so that was disappointing. Plenty of explosions and all kinds of sci-fi uh, effects and Predator tech and stuff like that, you know. Um, so that, that, I guess, was cool, but since I wasn't feeling the intensity of the action sequences it was all just a light show to me and personally i need more than i need intensity and drama attached i need to be i want to be emotionally invested so that those all that spectacle um has a uh, impact to me as a viewer um i don't usually comment on the music and sound but i'll briefly say that from the start the music is not only reusing the 80s predator theme but in other ways it is evoking film scores i think of the 1980s it almost sounded like star wars at the beginning of the movie even down to like you know after the main theme and then it zooms in and the music gets quiet it's like this little teeny strings or something like that you know it even did that at the beginning I was like this is really interesting and felt um, really too bright and kind of adventurous to me um, yeah very very interesting um, as far as like are there any worthwhile themes um, that stuck out to me that might uh, bring about worthwhile thoughts or potential for conversation to my mind uh, nothing really stood out to me in this movie um, one of the loonies was some kind of Bible believer uh, and he was convinced that the end times were coming any day and that the predators now showing up were a sign of that. He's mocked uh, at least a, two or three times for his Bible talk uh, and he also adds an S at the end of the title of the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which is a little pet peeve of mine, but anyway, <laughs> um, at least he wasn't acting superior and judgmental toward the other uh, characters, and, and s clearly seemed designed to be likable uh, for the audience. I, I just thought it was interesting that the weirdness or the quirk of this character is significantly attached to his belief in the Bible. Otherwise, the movie doesn't seem to be saying much of anything in an intentional way, except maybe that brief implicit warning to recycle kids or the world is doomed in 80 years. Um... I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I would go back in time and say, Peter, hey, 
Um, skip it. I mean, you sensed as much when you watched the trailer that there was going to be some things in this movie that just weren't going to be your cup of tea. I know, I know, you're wanting to give it a try and really go in with an open mind, but just skip it. You're going to be disappointed. You love this creature. You own Predator 1 and 2, and the first Aliens vs. Predator movie anyway. Didn't You didn't like the, the second one. Um, those movies are enough for you, okay? And, and even they themselves even lack in some qualities that you would prefer they had. Uh, this one, far more so. So wait for a reboot that surrounds this fascinating movie creature with a more serious, engaging story and characters, uh, or wait and see if maybe enough interest gets drummed up to result in a video game you'd like. Uh, you don't play those for story anyway, and maybe you'd get to engage with the concept of the Predator without having a story surrounding it that uh, falls flat for you. All right, uh, it's rated R for strong, bloody violence, language throughout, and crude sexual references. Data collection complete. Activating Musenet 1.0. This week at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, I have posted the video Why It's Worth It, quote unquote, to remember and obey God's words. That's from our study of Proverbs. That section featured on the podcast last week. Also, you'll find my Spider-Man for PlayStation 4 Trial and Error review, where I cover a few details about the game that I do not mention in this episode of the podcast. And again, as I said, those uh, I've provided a bunch of very detailed timestamps. So if you want to just check out one particular aspect uh, of the game and my thoughts on it, you can easily navigate to that. Uh, and then also, by now, you should be able to see my uncut review of the Predator. Uh, and if you're while you're there, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, and, and click that notification bell so you don't uh, miss another video in the future, um, I'd be very grateful for that. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a one or two sentence review of our audio dramas on iTunes or Amazon. Uh, reviews and ratings for this podcast on iTunes and other podcatchers would be great as well and help more people discover this podcast and the Christian Geek Central community. There's just a ton of content rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central movie and video game reviews, an ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek application, Christian geek industry news, gaming live streams, and a bunch more. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help make sure all that content keeps going and growing into the future. And get yourself some exclusive content as well, depending on your level of support. An exclusive podcast, private live streams, and an influential voice in all that I'm creating. Uh, you can find out all about the rewards and exclusive content content for patrons by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. This month's decompression live stream for patrons at the $5 tier and higher will be on Wednesday, September 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Just a chance for uh, me to kind of like uh, let my guard down a little bit and uh, and hang out with you guys in a slightly more unfiltered setting uh, and just kind of hear how you guys have been doing, what's been going on in your week. I'll probably share some of what's been going on in mine. We can just hang out and let things go where they will. Again, uh, that's for patrons at the $5 tier and higher this Wednesday, September 19th 
from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. And I do want to say again that I'm so grateful for the support of all of my Spirit Blade insiders who have made it possible for me to continue and stay afloat in the work that I'm doing. Thank you so much for, for taking this journey with me. Um, and for the, the, the rest of you, if you'd like to be among those who help make all of my work possible while also getting some exclusive content and rewards, again, you can check out patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Finally, mark your calendar for November 3rd, November 3rd, then take a listen to this. November 3rd, November 3rd, Dragon Quest XI and Spider-Man for PS4 are coming out within three days of each other. I'm going to try and review both games. I don't have time to make a brand new Extra Life Recruitment bumper. November 3rd. Once again this year, Christian Geek Central is participating in Extra Life. Uh, this is a charity that raises funds for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals, which provides free medical care to children whose families could otherwise not afford it. And this is very often for critical, life-saving treatment. Joining our team only requires a willingness to ask your family and friends to consider donating toward your fundraising efforts. Participants also usually do something fun and game-related to draw attention to their fundraising efforts, like a, a special game night at your home or your church, or like me, you could do a crazy 24-hour video gaming marathon. Now, I'm theming it around video games, but really this, this event can be themed around any kind of gaming, which includes both video games and tabletop games of any kind. What you do to raise funds is entirely up to you, but I would love for you to consider joining the Christian Geek Central Extra Life team. Uh, as team leader, I'll be there to help answer your questions, provide some helpful tips if I can, and just in general be your fundraising cheerleader and try to draw attention myself to your fundraising efforts. You can get more information about the event as a whole at extra-life.org uh, and if you choose to sign up there be sure to select Christian Geek Central as your team so I can get in touch with you and then just help in whatever way I can. Fundraising can begin at any time but our main push is going to be through the month of October leading up to November 3rd. Uh, that's the annual Extra Life game day uh, when I'll be streaming my 24-hour video gaming marathon live and trying to stay awake without throwing up. More details on my live stream as we get closer to it. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Right now, we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language we can easily take for granted, digging into history and languages when we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Uh, we're not formally trained in scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do, so I hope that you'll do that with us. Uh, John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community has been joining me for a conversational series looking of the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter three of Proverbs now, so I'll leave it at that and drop in the next part of our conversation right here. Okay, so verses seven through 12 of chapter three in Proverbs and the ESV reads, be not wise in your own eyes, fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be, will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise 
Yahweh's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For Yahweh reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. All right. Uh, so what do you, what jumps out at you from those verses? Oh man, you know, first starting out, be not wise in your own eyes. Oh yeah. Oh man, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is every person on the internet, isn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, if you're armed with Wikipedia and Google, you're like, <laughs> you're, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it, you know, and, and it talks, and, and what I like about this is he takes that and he he counters that with fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. Hmm. The implication being, if you're wise in your eye, own eyes, you're pursuing evil. Um, and so that is something to really, really consider and, and, and think about when you're ready to, you know, put someone on blast on the internet for, for whatever, just because you think they're wrong. Uh, it, it, you, you should definitely, uh, Keep your uh, keep your uh, heart directed towards the Lord and, and take a minute. I cannot tell you how many times I'll start writing out a comment or a response and I'll sit and I'll read it and I'll go, you know what? I'm just going to delete that. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> so uh, it, ta it, it, it takes that. And then he goes into uh, honoring the Lord with your wealth. And so this is coming from Solomon, who has a vast amount of wealth, and it would be very easy for him to say, ah, well, you know, I mean, I'm giving so much already. Yeah. <laughs> why should I? Why should and he talks about the first fruits? Yeah. Uh, about so so taking the best and the the, the first that you earn, uh, and and how how God will bless you. Now, again, we need to go back to when we originally talked about this isn't a formula. This isn't a get rich quick formula. Yeah. Uh, this is a principle because there's other things that will affect whether or not your barns will be filled with plenty besides just giving to the Lord. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and so we need to be careful about that because there are people who will read a scripture like that and interpret that to say, um, you know, just send in your seed gift and yeah. the Lord will bless you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's not what scripture is saying at, at all. Um, and then he, you know, he wraps it up with not despising discipline or, and here's what I like is just, is being weary of reproof. Mm. Um, oh gosh. I, <laughs> you, you see this in kids so often, don't you, where, yeah. where they've stepped in it again and you come and you give them correction and reproof, and the eyes start rolling. Yeah, I know. I you know. told me already, yeah, you know. know. <laughs> Do you know? Do you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and, and that that's really the example here, because he's talking about, you know, as a father, the son in whom he, you know, if you don't care about your child, you're not going to correct them. You're just going to let them, okay, do whatever you want. I don't, I don't care. Suffer the consequences. Yeah. But if you love your child, you want them to avoid those consequences yeah. 
as much as possible until they're ready to deal with it and they're prepared to deal with it, which is why you step in and correct and reprove. And we can get weary of that sometimes, I think. Uh, We can get really weary of uh, the Holy Spirit kind of tapping on our heart and saying, hey, John, uh, maybe, you know, this I, I know you're getting tired of this, but you probably don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can. I mean, like, there's been times this week where you know I I've just been like feeling in a certain way, or I've been in a funk, or whatever, and and you know, there's a little kind of like thought in my mind, uh, probably of the Holy Spirit, uh, and and uh, you know, saying. Well, you know what's probably causing that. And I'm like, I know, I know, but I don't want to do what I, I think I'm supposed to do to fix this or whatever. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going on this path. I, I think it's just a fluke. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, you know, you know I, I, I realize, ah, oh, crap. You know, if I, if I would have handled this, handled my time or handled this situation the way that, that I knew was the, the better way mm-hmm. to, to handle it, then I would have experienced, you know, the life that God wants me to experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and you know that this is, I think, in verses 9 and 10, is this the first mention of finances in, in Proverbs? I think it might be. This is the first mention of finances, yeah, yes. And we're going we're gonna to see more um, in, yep. in, our, in our long-term journey through uh, Proverbs, definitely. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, what, what's worth mentioning here it is because it, it's kind of like... I, I, th- I think the reason that giving attention to finances is important is as we get a sense of elsewhere in Scripture, um, well, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, mm-hmm. you know? And so this isn't just about, like, crunching numbers, making a budget, being responsible with your money and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, how we, money is like this powerful tool that we have. Yeah, which, which by itself, money itself is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. You know, that's often, right. That's often misquoted. Right. Money is this powerful. Finances are a powerful tool. All of our resources are. You know, but they also really reveal a lot about where our hearts are at. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and they and disciplining ourselves in how we handle money and in how we use it for God's glory in a very practical, tactical way. Uh, I think it's just a it's just a really important discipline, and I'll be the first to say I'm terrible at it. It's my wife that just brought so much wisdom regarding finances and right view yeah. about finances into our marriage. So, but I, I really, you know, despite my my natural weakness in that area, I see how vital it is to understand why the Bible em- emphasizes finances. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It's probably it's probably Larry Burkett or someone like that. And I think he said, "Show me your checkbook, and I'll show you where your heart is and what you treasure the most." Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's just well. I mean, you know, now most most likely, show me your credit card statement. You know, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. because the conven- you know, because the convenience of using a credit card, sure, not yeah. because you know we're all in debt or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but it, you know, when you really look at that and you. You know, sometimes when I'm looking over a credit card statement before before I go to pay it, I look at I look at it and I go, okay, wh- where where am I spending my money? Yeah. Where's my heart? Mm. And 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 that's a that can be a really tough check 
sometimes and yeah. saying, I spent how much yeah. on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, it, it, where it is, it has a lot to do with, um, with where our heart is. And um, it, it directs a lot of people's lives because of how powerful of a tool it is. Um, and it, it's needed. Finances are needed for so much that uh, we we really do have to be careful with with them and 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 how we're how we're spending that money and and, and where we're you know are we storing up treasure where are we storing up that treasure yeah. so. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and as useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And as a reminder, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that kind of lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. I'm going to give a special shout out to Gabe Gabriel Stinson, also known as Barbells and Joysticks on YouTube and elsewhere. He's been giving me some great tips to help with my exercise routine that I've really appreciated uh, and just in general been an encouragement to me late, uh, lately. So uh, thank you very much for uh, for that, Gabriel. You guys can check out his channel. Again, the, the name of it is Barbells and Joysticks on uh, YouTube. Also, a shout out to Tim O'Donnell, the General Administrator for Christian Geek Central. He's been putting in some extra time lately to help us start to develop our social media presence more. Uh, you may not see many of those changes yet. Uh, right now there's a lot of just kind of behind the scenes ducks getting in the rows. <laughs> but uh, he is an unsung hero behind the scenes of Christian Geek Central that I really appreciate. So thank you very much, Tim. Um, stay tuned for DS9 Shwarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you'd like to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it, I'll share my review of The House with a Clock in Its Walls. And we will continue our journey in the book of, for some reason I wrote Hebrews here in my notes, but no, we're in Proverbs, Peter. Proverbs <laughs> next week. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade Insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. Again, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep this all going and growing. You can also help this work by leaving a positive review of the Christian Geek Central podcast on iTunes or other podcast services. Just one or two sentences is all it takes. We actually haven't had a fresh review there in a while. There's 
some really favorable reviews on there that I very much appreciate, but not really any anything recent uh, on iTunes. So I'd love to uh, to just get a word of support that can freshen that up a little bit and uh, and help other people get connected to this content. Um, thank you so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week, and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. And that was A Time to Stand, the season six premiere. And the follow-up to a call to what is it, a call to arms, uh, the previous episode, and now we're going to really settle in and realize things are not just going to go right back. Like I said, not back to where they started from. Um, the Dominion is not only in charge of Deep Space Nine; they will be in charge of Deep Space Nine at the end of this episode, with no sign of it changing anytime soon. Um, if you saw a Call to Arms at the very end, there's ex- this exciting. You know, get you pumped up for the next season shot of the Defiant going and join this giant, just unbelievably huge fleet. Like Star Wars big. And now we come back to it, and it's three months later, so it's in real time. Yep, after your three-month hiatus of summer. summer. It's three months later, and they have been getting their butts handed to them the whole time. The entire cold open is all about how hopeless everything is. And if you remember, this is exactly what Bashir had, you know, he had predicted this would happen. You cannot win this war. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. That has yet to come. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my order up. He has yet to break that prediction. We'll see that now, soon. Now he's, right now he's calculating a 32% chance. Yeah, one in three chance that they'll even survive. He's not even talking about winning the war. He's talking about surviving it. Um, <clears throat> and it is... And that's the thing is, you saw last time you saw this wonderful huge fleet. You were like, "Whoa!" You were yeah. pumped up, and now you realize all the might of the Federation is still not enough. Planets are falling, fleets are being destroyed. You know, they're all, constantly all... getting reports back of, you know, they're like, "Oh, we're going to go rendezvous with the Seventh Fleet." Oh, and and then they find out out of like what 114 ships, only 12 made it. Yeah. And it's, it just keeps punching you in the gut. That, that's like a, a toxic attrition rate. I yeah, mean. with the with the fact that things are not going well, and our heroes are not getting it easy this time. No, and then we cut to after that cold open, we cut to what seems like a like a parallel universe story or something. Um, it's Ducat on the station giving the captain's log or the goal's log, if you will. Um, Talking about how wonderful everything is, the enemy's retreating on all sides, and you know, and, and but then we start getting into again. This is what I love is this kind of interpersonal stuff. 
Um, only it's this is just like the intergalactic politics stuff, only on a small scale, person to person. You've got Ducat uh, with his past history of wanting to reconquer uh, Bajor. You've got Damar, who's like blindly loyal to Ducat and hostile to anyone who might be slightly hostile to Ducat. You've got Weiyun, who is in his own way sincere, but he's also unctuous and oily and completely devoted to the Dominion. You've got Kira, who, you know, is she's just as devoted to Bajor and trying to sort his way out. Odo, who is trapped with his conflicted feelings about his own people who are the ones running this war. And now he's kind of on their side, kind of not on their side, doesn't know what to do. And all these things play out. I mean, I, I could literally talk about it in the length of time it takes the episode, about all the implications and everything. You've got, remember, Jake is on the station, and we see what's happening there and what an idiot he is. Um, you know, th- this whole episode, it's amazing how much they put in because there are so many good character moments, and yet there is an actual episode, which is, if you remember back in Season 5, uh, when they, they spent a whole episode capturing a Dominion ship, and that ship has been rebuilt, and Cisco and crew are sent to take it out to sneak into a Dominion base and take out uh, Ketracel White, which is the drug that keeps the Jem'Hadar working. Um, but without it, they slip into a coma and die. So they have super obedient, uh, really effective lethal soldiers, but they also, these guys need this one chemical. It's like, they only eat one food, but they need it. Well, and it's apparently really difficult to manufacture. Yeah. Federation science can't replicate it. Yeah, and the so Dominion... these plants that make it. And as we'll find out later, the Dominion cannot replicate it themselves. They can't build it here on the Alpha Quadrant. So all they have, since they've mined the wormhole, and that's another factor that's important we've got in... in is the Dominion still has not been able to take down those self-replicating mines. And right now, those are the only thing keeping them from bringing over the infinite hordes of hell, basically to just sweep through the rest. Of, I mean, they're, they're already dominating now, and they have like a scant forward vanguard, and they're dominating. So what's going to happen when they get all their forces through? <clears throat> so, yeah, they, they're sent to blow up this Ketracel depository. Yeah, which, you know, again, it's strike a major blow, and don't want to go into too much detail, because, again, it's really good. It's just, this is, to me, the highlight of the show. Well... So much character stuff, so much interesting... I think, Pater, you would especially like this. This has all the bleakness of Battle, Battlestar Galactica. In fact, Ron Moore, who runs this show, was the one who created Battlestar Galactica. So it makes sense. I think you would like this show. And I'd say this particular episode is like... The first half of it is just establishing back from the summer where we are and, and how bad things have been going. And there's some clunky dialogue as we reestablish what we already know. So the first half of it is kind of like war movie establishment. And then the second half of it turns into a heist because they're having to. I say the, not, not really a heist, but I guess kind of a heist because they do have to go undercover. And but it's, it's one of those where every it's a hit and run. Goes wrong, we plan it out, and then everything goes wrong, and we have to. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's a really good episode. Not surprisingly, um, this one is largely a structural story. It's mostly about getting us to where we need to go and telling us what we need to know. But it does it extremely well. Um, and the next episode is, I would argue, probably even better, but it is, it is a fascinating story, and it could be just a really good story in and of itself in any kind of a conflict situation with matters of life and death. 
but it fits perfectly well with Deep Space Nine. Um, but as for this episode, there's not too much to go into other than talk, but, I mean, this would not be a good one to, to cut your teeth on because there's so much detail. Even though it explains a lot of stuff, you still need to see Yeah, you don't want to start stuff. here. But if you've been keeping up, then you probably really enjoyed it. I know I sure did. And I've seen this episode dozens of times already, and it still doesn't get old. I still, a couple times when Kim and I were watching, I paused and said, oh, here's a new insight to this character given that statement. They're just, these are that interesting characters. Yeah. All, you know, Garrick and Bashir, there's all these things. You can always peel back another layer. Yeah, you can always, that's a good way to put it. You can always peel back another layer and come up with an idea of why they said this. Oh, well, they really meant this. So, well, we'll see you next time for, what is it? Rocks and Shoals. See you then.